that feels nice. I bet it does. <laughs> I don't. I don't know where to go. What, from what, that. what are we talking? Well, that's just uh, okay. The end. That is yep. Epitaph Records. <laughs> that's the end of the podcast, my friend. The rest uh, is for you to decipher yourself. Growing up punk over and out. <laughs> uh, sure. Welcome to Growing Up Punk, the podcast about punk rock and all of its friends. My name is David. My friend is Aaron. Hello, sir. Hey, what's up? What's up? You know, we were just quickly talking before I hit record, and then you eventually hit record uh, about you know remote learning and stuff and how everything on my computer i had to like re-log in because my kids have been using it um so it's all logged in under their stuff which is uber annoying but hey here we are they're learning they're doing they're doing good so that's all that matters right (laughs) we could have just done it with our kids backgrounds and their names on it (laughs) just throw everybody off yeah yeah um that's curious what do they use they don't use zoom i don't think for their Oh, yeah. It's like Seesaw or Google Meet or something. Yeah, I think it's Google. Everything's done through. I think I'm not typically home when they're doing school these days. I know my wife was super annoyed because... So we're just back on remote learning. We've actually been in school for the entire year up until now. My my daughter was off for two weeks at one point in October because of a close contact or whatever. Or oh, I yeah. think a positive case in their class or whatever. But um, the school itself hadn't gone to remote learning uh until just now i guess it's a lie i think they did an extra week over winter break maybe yeah Yeah. ours did an extra two weeks then yeah but then uh so yeah just this past week we've been on uh remote learning and um my wife was annoyed because she just wants to like do the school first thing in the morning and get it done with right because then the afternoon's kind of free and you can do whatever uh but both my son and daughter their like meets are in the middle of the afternoon she's like well (laughs) It's kind of annoying, but yeah, it is no, what they, it is. Yeah, they don't set it up so that parents can manage it. They set it up so that it's still a full school day, at least for us. Like we still, yeah. our kids still had a call at three o'clock in the afternoon. Like starting yeah. at nine, last one at three. Each one had three calls a day at least. I know when um, my daughter was when she was doing remote learning for the two weeks. She had it was like full days on school or on computer for school, but this time around. Uh, they just do it. So like in the morning they have like, I don't know what they call it, just like a free learning time or whatever, where uh, it's for them to do homework and, you know, make sure their assignments are done. And then in the afternoon they have the meets, I guess, which is funny because I'm like, wouldn't you like do it the other way around? Like do your meets in the morning and then, you know, but I think it's maybe just scheduling it ended up that way, but Hey, whatever. Uh, We're uh, I, I want to say optimistically getting, slowly getting closer to i hope so done with this even though uh i know like currently where i live at this time that we're recording hopefully by the time this comes out this is a very different thing but um we would have said that six months ago too so well yeah but i mean (laughs) where i live like in alberta right now i believe like in north america per capita cases it's the highest like higher than any state hey congrats yeah right where you guys know how to party doing it <laughs> there is literally, all those free range rodeos are just. I was gonna say there's literally a stupid. <laughs> oh, don't get me started. But there are a bunch of dum dums that got together and literally had a rodeo that was like. Hey a, man, the horses need to breed. You can't stop it. <laughs> need to breed. I like it. Um, but uh, the rodeo fans got to breed as well. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I uh, I did get my first uh, shot, my first vaccination. Oh, so awesome! That's exciting. So yeah, I feel like I'm a step closer anyway. Even though. 
the way things work here, I my second shot isn't until like September or whatever, but yeah, whatever. It is what it is, right? So Yeah, one's better than none, I guess. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about Epitaph Records. This is actually going to wrap up our uh, series on record labels that I think... I think it's fair to say stretched on longer than either of us maybe anticipated um, when things just kind of kept coming together. It's like, oh, we can do this label and this label and this. Obviously, there's. Well, yeah. And there's so many we didn't cover, too. Like, it gets to a point where it's like, okay, well, especially with doing the interview yeah. and our episode, you know, that's, you know, two yeah. labels a month max when there's 20 labels to cover or something. I mean, I could have, I suppose I could have like rushed the releases a little more, but uh, there, was, there was so much coming yeah, in. Yeah, I guess but, too much. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned like there were so many other labels we could have done, which is 100% true. And, you know, maybe in the future we'll come back and kind of like take a look at a few more labels. Um, Like we we did have interest from some other labels, uh, like artists on labels and stuff to do episodes. And it's just, we're kind of like, okay, let's, (laughs) let's, let's move on. This was like a, a fun idea, I think, that we both just kind of, I think, it started with you doing um, a couple episodes. I want to say it started with the Solid State episodes. Maybe you did uh, The one. Face Down was the first one. Right. I was say, yeah. or maybe, yeah. Okay. So the Face Down records and then Solid State. And then it was kind of the thing like, this is, I think this could be a fun idea for a series yeah. of episodes. And we're now, by the time this comes out, going to be almost halfway through the year. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Jen, how many labels do we cover? Like 10, 15? Oh, man. I guess I could, hold on. I could. Something like that? I mean. I could give yeah, you an this, actual number. Yeah, and a lot of it kind of went to like just trying to find labels that we were both interested in, yeah. or finding a band from that late from said label. So yeah. yeah, again, can cover it all, but we tried to cover the ones that you know were the most influential for the longest period of time. And I'm currently trying cool. to sign in and look at how many episodes we did. <laughs> uh, let's see. Yeah, episodes. I guess uh, with this being our last one, we should have been. Uh, a little bit more on top of that, but hey, well, whatever, that's, man. That's how okay. it goes when you. So, how many labels you asked, right? So, yeah, going in reverse order: Pure Noise, Hopeless, Drive Through, Tooth and Nail, Polyvinyl, Bridge Nine, Equal Vision, Vagrant, Fat Wreck, Victory, Solid State, and then I guess Face Down. I didn't yeah. count. Did you count as I read those off? <laughs> no, I didn't. Did I, did I do that for no reason? Anybody else? Anybody yeah. else can oh, count. So if you're I was listening, listening I was like, counting. "Oh, which ones did we cover?" <laughs> and then yeah. we've got one more one-off as well. But yeah, that's right. I do. Yeah. At this point in time, I still got to get around to editing that thing. But uh, and with my kids being at you know doing remote learning and having my computer all day it makes that a little trickier. But <laughs> yeah, yeah well, no uh, kidding. Well, we'll get around to it. But um, I did want to say before we jump into our releases. Uh, so if this is the first episode that you're listening to, first off, welcome. Hope you stick around and enjoy some other episodes. Uh, but what we've been doing is it started as like, I, I want to say we kind of approached it like this is our quote unquote top five from this label, that label, and whatever label. And yeah. then I realized, I'm like, okay, like we can say that as in like, this is my top five. And I think that's what I want to specify is that these are just the f- you know five releases or bands that we really wanted to... Um, kind of i guess highlight and in some cases maybe that was like our five actual favorite records 
In other cases, it may be like like with this label, what we're about to do, you know, kind of maybe more a different look at the label. Um, you yeah, know, good, good to say that off the top so yeah, people aren't assuming we're talking about the bands they think we're going to be. Well, and that's the thing is, is Epitaph has been around forever and a day. And uh, they've obviously released some of the biggest records that have come out in uh, the punk scene. Um, and, you know, there's any number of podcasts out there covering those records that have talked about those records. We've mentioned some of them on on the show in the past yeah. you know yeah, obviously, lots of them probably yeah say so obviously bands like pennywise we did an episode on pennywise uh bands like mill and colin bands like uh rancid obviously no effects uh the list kind of goes on and on uh bad religion and you know so so those those picks are obvious and uh we thought it would be fun to kind of do something a little bit different and uh, <laughs> I'm going to say this before we really, I, uh, I broke a lot of rules with my, uh, top five. And so I figured since this was like, you know, the last of our label series, I'm like, this is when I get to break the rules, uh, you know, kind of looking at it like the last day of school or whatever. And it's like that, you know, you, you're, you're, you're like grades are in or whatever. And, you know, maybe there's one little last assignment that the teacher wanted you to hand in and it's like, screw it. I'm done for the summer. I don't care. You Getting know, it's not fights get suspended. Yeah. It's not going to affect <laughs> me either way. Right. So I'm breaking my own rules, um, which those rules would typically be, what do we got? Uh, studio albums, full lengths and one pick per band. Right. So well, all the, and, and from the label. So we'll get into my broken rules when we get there. But uh, do you remember when you first discovered or heard about Epitaph Records? Well, on the last episode on Pure Noise, I was saying it definitely wasn't a compilation. And this one, I know it definitely was a compilation. Right. Uh, it would have been probably Punkorama 1. Um, I don't remember exactly when I got it. I feel like I can still picture seeing it in the store. And I mean, there were so many comps kind of back then, you know, and, you know, these ones always had eye-catching artwork. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I don't know if I had it or a friend had it, but it was definitely floating around. And, you know, at that time, or we were discovering new bands and, you know, these comps had, you know, 20, 25 bands on it. And, and yeah, so many that, that caught my attention. And kind of from there, you know, more releases would come out. I remember uh, my buddy getting Penny Bridge Pioneers from Millen Collin and noticing like, oh, this is Epitaph and... Um, maybe they were on the first Punkorama, but, you know, just kind of when you first start seeing like, okay, they're on this label, they're on this label, right? Because there was no way to go, you know, at that time, I don't even know if I would have had the internet then, right? but, you know, to go see like who's all on the label or, you know, you just kind of found it one at a time or, and so that was cool. Just kind of noticing it and being like, okay, I think I'm really going to like this label and I can trust it and I like the bands on it. Yeah. I don't remember specifically... It probably was something like Punkorama or, you know, um, maybe even obviously like The Offspring with Smash, uh, yeah. something like that. Like that, when I think about it, The Offspring Smash was probably the first Epitaph release that I listened to, knowingly anyway. Not necessarily knowing that it was Epitaph Records, but right. like going yeah, out yeah. And, and listening to it intentionally. Um, yeah. Which, of course, I believe is still like the highest selling independent Indie release of all time. yeah yeah which yeah, is crazy. which is crazy yeah and you know punkorama would have, I, I remember friends having you know punkorama samplers i never had that compilation at all i definitely heard it make its way around make its rounds uh one of the first epitaph records i can remember buying was mill and colin uh four monkeys oh um, yeah 
you know, so I can't specifically pinpoint or I mean, Pennywise full circle is another one uh, that was like pretty big. I, I had a friend. Actually, this reminds me. Here's a story. Um, so I had this friend and he was whenever I think of the band Pennywise, I think of this guy. Also, when I think of Guttermouth, I think of him and. Was there a band called like Grim Skunk or something like that? <laughs> like, there's, anyway, there's this very like specific window of time uh, in my life, and I think about this one guy. I can think about the house we were living in, whatever. His name was Wade, and um, my parents. He, he was the kid that my parents were like, "He's he, he's no good. Don't hang out with him. Uh, don't hang out with him." And you know, and then his parents were upset that my parents thought he was not a good influence. And you know how it goes, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyways, we still hung out. And one time, he he told me he's like, "Hey." I want to build like a, a box, a skateboard, like a skate box so I could, you know, grind on it and just do, you know, I can use it for skating. So I was like, okay. And we lived in this like developing neighborhood in the town that I grew up in. And he's like, let's go to a construction site and steal some lumber. And so he's like, I'm going to sneak out in the middle of the night. Will you sneak out with me to help me steal some lumber? So I'm like, all right. And it's funny because at this point, I had never snuck out that I can recall ever. And so I'm sitting there going, okay, uh, A, I got to make sure I don't fall asleep. And B, what is my game plan for getting out of the house thinking that my parents are going to wake up at just like the slightest little sound, right? So I'm like, okay, I got this worked out. I'm going to sneak into the garage and I'm going to quietly close the door. And then I'll, you know, I'll go out the the side door of the garage or whatever, right? And uh, he's like, okay, so if you come and you help me steal this, I will give you this epitaph iron on. And so Sweet. I was like, like a patch. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So, so I was like, all right. And well, it wasn't even like a, not like a patch, but like, um, like it, you ironed it on and it like transferred like a vinyl design to your shirt. Oh, okay. Or you ironed it on. And so I was like, okay. And so I went to help him. And of course, you know, like the developing company is like, well, we're not just leaving materials lying around. You know, so when we get there in the middle of the night, there's nothing there for him to take. So he's like, well, that kind of (laughs) sucks. And so we like walk back to my house. He's like, well, I guess I got to give this to you. So he gives me the patch. And so I, you know, ironed it on the next day or whatever. And for a little while I had this like black, it was a plain black hoodie, but then this like small, like red epitaph logo on it that I got for totally not stealing lumber um <laughs> but sweet if you still had that i definitely don't and even if i did it for sure wouldn't fit me <laughs> oh you could have you could have fit it on for tonight <laughs> yeah yeah that's true i could have put it on just for tonight um but yeah that's my that's my grand history with uh, yeah, that's Patel. awesome so don't don't steal lumber kids almost um, a criminal Almost a criminal, yeah, yeah. So close. <laughs> so it's like, what's the band? Only crime, except it's yeah. just, it's almost crime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have okay. intentions of doing it, but then we get there, and then we decide <laughs> we're not going to do it. <laughs> but dude, I totally snuck out. So yeah. killing it. Uh, speaking of kill, what's uh, let's get into your picks. Yeah, right on. Yeah, this uh, the first one I went with is Oscar. The band or the album is called Idol Will Kill. I feel strangled. I feel torn into insufficient amounts of two. Is this a sign of what I'm made of for? How I allow myself. Die today, and so I won't. 
second and final album on Epitaph released 2001 so you know they've already been done for most of the time that we've kind of even been into music yeah. in an interview with uh, Mean Street Magazine lead guitarist Devin Williams said about the album I think I've grown into my mind I know who I am and I have an identity I know how I work Idol Will Kill describes me better the underlying theme of the songs is about me being my own person the songs are a realization that I'm all I have, and all these other people are excessive, and sometimes they are really disappointing. I just uh, that really fits the album. Like when you listen to it, it kind of has this kind of angsty sound to it. Not necessarily as whiny as like some punk bands, but um, and not even in a in a negative way. But I don't know. When I read that, it's like man, I that just kind of describes it so well, and, and a pretty interesting kind of take on on an album yeah for me this band and this release is is pretty underrated they kind of seem to go pretty unnoticed you know except for the few people that i knew that really liked them they were definitely not a band that i ever really heard being casually mentioned you know people never said like oh i like this band this band this band and oscar it was kind of you knew them or you didn't and then I, I think you know it was an album that probably wasn't super promoted because i think they broke up after it and you know, it's got pretty plain artwork, which is, you know, different for a lot of the punk that was coming out back then. So for whatever reason, this album's always stuck with me. I listened to it again today, and and it's really, I don't know, there's just something unique about it. I don't know if it necessarily, if it came out today, if I would like it as much, but um, just because I've had the time with it, and, and it just has that different enough sound, but it still is a punk rock record. And yeah, just a, a really cool band that I wish um, kind of had more more out there. It definitely uh, has a unique sound. Um, I so this was a band that I'd never listened to, but seeing the name, I was like, okay, yeah, you know, I I I could never. If someone had said, you know, do you remember the band Oscar? You know, in that particular context, I probably been like, no, and couldn't have said anything about what label they were on or anything, right? But when you shared your list, I was like, oh, I kind of remember this name floating around. So it probably showed up on you know different comps or whatever. Um, the opening track, Patience, is a random opening track. When I first put it yeah. on, I was like, what am I listening to? And, uh, and you know, it kind of had this thing where I was like, okay, I expected the first song after its little intro to, like, kick into, you know, something that was a full-on, you know, kind of like punk song or whatever. But instead, it adds drums and bass, but it, like, really keeps being driven by an acoustic guitar on that first song. And then... You know, so I thought, okay, well, is this the direction the album's going? Which is, in my mind, I was like, it's kind of a weird pick for Aaron. But 
uh, it eventually, you know, the next song, whatever, it kind of gets a little more, um, you know, into a punk rock, pop punk sort of mold or what have you. But I was, as I was listening to it earlier today, I was trying to think, I was like, what do I think of this record? Because it's not one that I can immediately, I think, you know, make a judgment on. You know, you, you put some albums on and immediately you can say whether you like it or not, right? Yeah. With this particular record, I listened to it the other day, and unfortunately, I kind of got like interrupted. I was listening to it at work, and then someone came in and we were talking, so I turned it down, and it you know kind of played through or whatever. So I put it back on today to sort of listen to it closer. And on first listen, like just sitting there, not doing anything, just trying to listen to it, I was like, I can't really get into it. But there was something at the same time where I was like, it's it, it's unique. Like it's it doesn't sound like anything else. And I think there's something there for sure that I could like it's just like i think one of those one of those albums for me that would take repetition and you know or as they say it grows on you type thing right yeah yeah and that so, could be it too and i, I, I tried getting yeah, uh i tried getting devin on the show and he was mm. just like i just don't care to talk about that band anymore <laughs> <laughs> what is he do you know what he's doing now is he doing well, anything he, he does have another music project it's not really punk um kind of stuff but yeah i don't know it's just he's a unique unique songwriter like i you know as i read that thing i just read and listened to the album i feel like he, he would have some cool thoughts or just kind of different way of kind of seeing music or seeing you know punk rock and but anyways i, I guess this he, he was happy to move on from this apparently that's fair you know i he does he definitely has a, a different style of songwriting i would say i don't know if that's the best way to describe it but like I, I was listening to songs, you know, kind of waiting for the hook and it just never really came or at least there wasn't like in the songs I was listening to, there wasn't any like real big hooks, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it's definitely not hook driven kind it, of pop. It reminded me a little bit and maybe I'm wrong in saying this, um, but it did remind me a little bit of like No Use for a Name in just like how the songwriting wasn't necessarily typical. Hmm. Uh, especially for like, you know, the world of punk, pop punk, skate punk sort of stuff. Like it was doing its own thing, but yeah. 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 It it almost kind of makes me think of like, kind of like more kind of emo music. Like it's a little bit more, you know, it just kind of feels like there's a bit more there than just like, all right, let's put out a two and a half minute song and it's all good. And it's a bit more weight. Like, you know, maybe yeah. he's like a bit ticked off as he's writing it, and he's a bit kind of like snotty singing it. And yeah, there was, there's definitely an element that reminded me a little bit of like Jawbreaker as well, um, and even elements that reminded me of like early Green Day. Uh, yeah, yeah, for again, sure. Again, not being like Green Day is, you know, <laughs> if they they just write hooks for days, right? So like that aspect wasn't necessarily there, right? Maybe just it was just the snotty sort of, brattiness, yeah, the tonality of it. But we don't want to fit in. But it's right. it's not like it's hard to listen to. But sure, it's yeah, not yeah. trying to be mainstream or to fit kind of the specific mold of some sort. That's fair. It's a it's a it's a cool pick for sure. Um, my first pick is my first broken rule. Uh, I'm going with the Promise Ring and their album Wood Water. Sounds, 
and final studio album by American rock band The Promise Ring. It was released by Anti, which is a sister label, or is it Anti? I don't know. 
what we do know is it's not it's not auntie um (laughs) sister label to epitaph which was founded in 1999 the record was released on april 23rd 2002 while touring in support of their third studio album very emergency the promise ring were due to leave for a european tour when frontman davy von bolin was diagnosed with uh, meningioma i don't know if i said that right uh on the day of departure and as he had a had to have surgery and as a result of post-surgical infection the band could not tour for the remainder of 2000 so in early 2001 the promise ring flew to the uk for six weeks of recording with stephen street before returning to milwaukee for further recording and the album moved away this is what i find interesting from the emo sound of the band's past works into alternative country indie rock and Mm. pop territory Uh, it received generally favorable reviews from music critics many of whom praised uh, the reinvention of the Promise Ring sound before the band promoted it. Uh, Davey had uh, an additional surgery. but So my experience with this album, I find it interesting. So in that little write-up, it says it received generally favorable reviews, uh, which is interesting to me because as, as long as I've been familiar with the Promise Ring, this album has always kind of been like the, eh, you know, like yeah. <laughs> they shouldn't have done that sort of albums. And so you can imagine my surprise because this was the album that got me into the Promise Ring. They were a band whose name I heard thrown around for you know a few years prior to that, growing up in in the scene I was going to. And it's typically like, oh, if you like this band, man, you should hear the Promise Ring. They were doing it first, or what have you, right? Yeah. Um, and so it took me a while to actually get into them. So when I bought this record, I fell in love with it immediately, and I was like, oh, this is not what I expected, and it's different from what I was normally listening to at that time, right? But I was very surprised when I went back and bought like very emergency and then listened to, you know, nothing feels good and 30 degrees everywhere. Like their, their earlier albums and being like, this is like a completely different band. Like, <laughs> you know, prior to this album, they were more, you know, like poppy emo, you know, kind yeah. of straight up sort of thing. And then this record all of a sudden, yeah, they're, they're bending those rules a little bit. So I figured I would bend the rules and keep it on this list uh, because I make the rules so I can break them. But yeah, um, nice. <laughs> yeah, man. Did you get it? Have you ever, like, did you ever get into the Promise Ring, or did you get a chance to listen to this album? You know, this is the only one on your list that I didn't get to to listen through. I'm going to stop um, recording right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. I mean, I've I've heard enough of the Promise Ring to kind of like you know know get a feel for what they are, and you know, yeah, they're probably not a band I would love, but I mean. Yeah, such an in- influential band. You know, like I've seen their name so many times, influencing so many other bands, and so I mean, yeah, definitely a band you want to include on a list like this. And and I wonder if you know you said that um, they were praised for kind of the change. You wondered why. Like, I wonder is that more kind of like mainstream media liking the change because you know it had more of maybe that pop and country sound to it versus you well, know. Yeah, and it's it's intriguing to me. So this came out in 2002. So we're talking about like, okay, the emo, like mainstream boom is, if not in full swing, is really kicking off, right? Like Jimmy Eat World, uh, Bleed American came out in 2001. And obviously that had the middle on it. Actually, Davey Von Bolin is on a song uh, on that album. And uh, the best part is, is... I believe Jim Adkins literally sings a line in the song where he says, uh, he said like he's singing to Davey and then Davey oh, comes on the cool. song later. So it's kind of cool. But, um, so that's, what's, that's, what's intriguing to me with this record is that, you know, dashboard confessionals out, Jimmy world is all over the place. These bands are moving and, you know, stuff is happening. 
and the Promise Ring are one of those bands that were around, you know, like Jimmy Eat World had been around for a few years at this point, but like had been one of those bands that was ushering this movement in. And so it's intriguing to me that they make a change in their sound, which again, I really appreciate, really still love this record. And it's at a time when their original sound, or at least like their more current original sound, because even the shift from, um, you know, their earlier albums through to Very Emergency, there was a shift there, uh, you know, really kind of cleaning up and polishing up. Like that sound probably could have been pretty dang big too, or at least like running alongside those bands. And so, you know, I'm curious how much the surgeries and stuff like that really affected Davey in uh, wanting to exert the same amount of energy in in like performing and singing sort of thing if that played a role in why it kind of like you know dialed back a little bit but uh, it's tough it's tough to say i'm sure there's interviews out there where he talks about it a little bit but um yeah man i've always uh, this record i think as far as like its reception within you know like the scene is concerned i think this record initially like i said was kind of like that one where people were like i don't know like i i just want that band that i fell in love with but i think as time has gone on and those people have kind of grown up and got a little bit older like the appreciation for that record has followed yeah uh, or grown i should say over time but um so it is funny that you know i i asked if you listen to it you're like well i like they're a band that i know enough of their sound that i don't need to listen to it whereas this is like the one that's like the real outlier of their sound and being like, but I also, I also think in that regard, it, it's a sound that would be further removed from anything you'd like, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. And I, I don't see- know their stuff enough. Like if I put it on, I probably wouldn't be able to decipher, Oh, this doesn't sound like how I thought it would. It would just. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's move into uh, your next pick. So switching gears a bit, I'm going with Parkway Drive, their album Horizons. <laughs> Again. 
is the second album by Australian metalcore band. It was released October 6, 2007 uh, through Resist. So that's the their label in Australia. And then Epitaph was kind of their world worldwide label. And uh, they were back with Adam D, who's a guitar player from Kill Switch Engage. Oh, okay. So they did their first album there and then this one as well. So that was I, I remember back then that being a pretty big thing from a band coming from Australia all the way to the States to to record with a guy like Adam D because he was doing tons of big kind of metal albums at the time. Um, yeah, this record was a surprising commercial success for the band, charting number six um, on the Araya album charts, an unheard of achievement for an Australian metal band in 2007. And that's one of the things I remember about them when I first got into their first album, which I ordered off of Interpunk, just kind of randomly off of hearing a clip of a song. Um, but I knew I would like this band. Um, but when I knew they were from Australia, or not when I knew, but, you know, knowing they were from there and then starting to see them pop up on lots of tours in the States and people talking about them, I don't feel like that was happening a lot, you know, then, or I wasn't hearing as much about bands, you know, you know, from Europe or um, from overseas, you know, in Australia, New Zealand kind of thing. And so it was just cool to see a band from there getting a lot of recognition. Um, yeah, so they'd gained a lot of momentum from their first release and uh, started to hear the name a lot. Horizons builds off everything they did on Killing With A Smile. It's crushingly heavy at times, but also very melodic uh, without the song sounding too polarizing. I mean, if you're a fan of metalcore, this is a must-have. Um, unfortunately, kind of in their last few albums, they've taken the route that a lot of kind of metalcore bands have and gone the more kind of radio rock, it's kind of heavy rock. rock. Yeah, butt rock, and <laughs> it's just every time I hear it, it's like, oh, I want to like this. And there's a few good songs on it, but uh, it's just so frustrating when that happens. But I mean, they're they're a huge band. It's cool to see them, you know, a metal band getting really big, and and uh, so yeah, this is, I I love going back to this album. I'm glad they have you know four or five albums that were that were really really good. So yeah, when I read your like kind of description. Uh, of the band before I put the record on, I knew, <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to like it. Um, <laughs> or at least like I, I should, you know, I, we've talked about it. I don't need to talk about yeah. core that much, but it's funny. Cause like, so Parkway drive was a band that for that period of time where I was kind of like dabbling a little bit more into, you know, heavier music. Um, they were a band that I had in, you know, friends that really liked them and I never, listen to them and i'd be interested if you know if i'd checked them out at that time if i would have gotten you know kind of more into them but you know i was definitely more on the like the melodic side of heavy um not saying that you know these bands can't get melodic either but just like just more really open sounds maybe i like them more now that they're a butt rock band i don't know yeah, um, <laughs> it's po it's possible but uh yeah man because like you know at that time i would have been I don't know about when this album came out necessarily, 2007. Uh, I mean, maybe I would have still been listening. I was, I was still listening to you guys at that time. So, you know, I was still into some kind of heavy music. But, uh, but yeah, I'm curious if I, if I had actually, you know, taken up friends who said, you know, we're talking about this band, if I'd listened to them then, if I would have been more into them or not. But um, nowadays, when I listen to heavier music, it tends to be more just like straight up. I like to call it beat down hardcore. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, yeah, this has some elements of it, but yeah. It's, yeah. It, yeah. And it's not necessarily anything like crazy special about this band, you know, compared to their peers, but you know, just that they're from Australia, that they gain success pretty quickly 
and now they're you know a massive band especially in australia but now worldwide and so yeah it, you know there's still part of me that is like you know i like to see those bands succeed that i got into you know just finding them randomly on interpunk and now they're this huge band and so there's still that's a part cool. of me that yeah is drawn towards them so we'll, we'll we'll see kind of what they do but at least they've got a good handful of albums that i can go to that's awesome yeah um i had no idea they're from australia so there you go that that's yeah they're they're kind of like august burns red and the fact that they're just like surfer dudes like kind of preppy guys they're you know not what you would consider to be this like big metal band sure yeah that's awesome uh my next pick is motion city soundtrack even if it kills me in this pot uh rick okasic who's from the cars and i believe rick actually uh produced the blue album by weezer as one of his things uh adam schlesinger from fountains of wayne uh he also wrote the song that thing you do plus he uh oh yeah worked on other films and eli janney from girls against boys who's also currently plays keys in the house band on late night with seth myers so that's nice Kind of interesting. Uh, the album was released on September 18th, 2007 on Epitaph. Motion City Soundtrack made a breakthrough with their second album, Commit This to Memory, garnering praise and independent buzz upon its 2005 release. Following the release, the band toured relentlessly over the next two years, during which time frontman Justin Pierre struggled with alcohol and substance abuse. These addictions were infused into the writing process of Even If It Kills Me, which was mm. recorded in early 2007. Um 
I was late to the party with Motion City Soundtrack. I think of when I think of this band, I I think of a friend who you know I went to high school with, and because I want to say like this came out in two thousand seven. They had two albums before it, so I want to say like their name was starting to float around just right around then or just after high school. And I feel like I could be entirely wrong. Maybe this guy was never into Motion City Soundtrack, but for whatever reason, when I think of this band, I think of a friend of mine named Tyler. I don't know why. Uh, like I said, maybe he never even once listened to them, but um, I was late to the party. I remember hearing their name circulating. The song Everything is All Right was in some video game I know that I played. And so when I eventually came around to them and actually listened to them because, you know, I saw a lot of people talking about them on their farewell tour, which I believe they've since gotten back together because that's just what yeah, they do. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, but on that initial farewell tour, I you know I remember seeing things on social media about people going to the shows and whatever, and so I was like, oh, I should, I should you know listen to them. And so everything is all right. I knew that song immediately. That's not on this album, um, but I found this album at a thrift store and fell in love with it. And I actually thrifted it twice because the first copy I had. Uh, I think one of my kids must have like was just in the front of the van and like pushing buttons and ejected it from the CD player and it got thrown on the floor and it got all scratched. So I was like, ah, so I was a little <laughs> bummed about that. But that, I went out. That of- reminds sorry, a quick anecdote. Do you remember the the movie The Ringer with Johnny Knoxville, yeah. where he pretends to be mentally challenged? Yeah. yeah. The guy's like, you picked up my CD in broad daylight and you scratched it. <laughs> sorry. Uh, you know that's amazing though, and in an entirely. Uh, kind of brutal way, but like, because the whole idea of the ringer, right? He he pretends to have challenges to play. Are do like do they go to the Special Olympics? Yeah. So there is legitimately, I don't remember what year the Olympics this was, but um, there is legitimately for the Paralympics a team that was comprised. I think it was from Italy, a basketball team that was comprised of like ninety eight percent of guys who didn't have anything wrong with them. Oh, they wow. just like bucked the system and won a gold medal and then this story broke and it's like it's crazy anyway you should look it up sometime but i did go out of my way to find this record again because in that time i was like oh it's super catchy um his lyricism is what seals the deal for me like the music's upbeat well thought out with unique melodies uh but the lyrics are the icing on the cake uh this is (laughs) every time i listen to this song i can't help but kind of laugh like if you can't get behind lyrics like this he says uh, let's get wrecked on pop tarts and sex and see the Taj Mahal. Let's save birds from Prince William Sound and skateboard through the mall. Let's fight crime with mangoes and limes and join the PGA. Let's win big with every spin, but hurry, I can't wait. Do you spend a fortune on those late night prepaid television scams in search of the perfect blender, steak knife, and nonstick frying pan? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, but I mean, that I, those lyrics kind of make me laugh or whatever, but he's also, he's got a song. When I say he, the band, they've got a song later on the record where, you know, he's singing about, I don't know if it's his wife now or whatever, but a a girl, and he's just talking about, you know, how much, you know, he loves her or whatever. And there's just some lines in that song that kind of get real when she's dealing with like the death of her father and stuff. And I don't know, he's, Mm. he's, he's unique in his lyricism to say the least, but, um, and then you couple that with, with the music that they put out. Yeah. Uh, Did you ever get into them? I feel like Motion City Soundtrack is one of those like poster boy bands for, you know, that kind of, I don't know what you call it, kind of emo, pop, punk, rock. Yeah. Like they've got kind of lots of different things going on there, but um, 
I mean, yeah, the singer Justin, his hair, like very, very <laughs> iconic. Like I don't know how many times I saw pictures of them in magazines and. Like, you know, what the it was, heck? <laughs> yeah, it was just kind of eye-catching. I, yeah. I do remember this band always being played like at punk shows, you know, in between bands. And I always remember thinking like, okay, there's parts of this I like, but then like I don't necessarily like love the keyboards or the... keyboards the... are definitely like obnoxiously in your face, good or bad. Like I like the keyboards. I There's a ton of bands that the keyboards that have almost the same sound or a similar yeah. sound where it kind of turns me off. But it, for this, it, it works for me for sure. But Yeah, like and so there was elements of it that was like, okay, I like this. And I was like, oh, okay, I don't like this. So I think there was enough of that that kind of killed the intrigue um, yeah. for me. But, yeah, I mean, a, another band that was kind of all over the place, very influential in, in that kind of warp Tour scene. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, I listened to this album today, and there was enough that, you know, I was like, okay, like, again, I, I don't hate this. You know, but I don't really love it enough to to kind of go back to it. And I do know I was quite surprised when I found out they were on Epitaph, especially at the time when I found out they're on Epitaph, because I'm like, it doesn't seem like you know the bands that we mentioned off the top is kind of like those you know legacy bands or whatever you want to call them with the label. I'm like, oh, this is like a different direction. Which I mean, over the years, Epitaph has really kind of like stretched and reached out for sure. Yeah. but yeah, they were, I mean, and they, yeah, they were definitely, you know, kind of their peak was the fallout boy years, right? Like so right, that, yeah, yeah. that kind of sound where it wasn't necessarily like it was being called pop punk, but it wasn't necessarily pop punk, you know, like uh, maybe earlier in both those bands careers, but it definitely, I mean, emo pop rock that works. Like, I think, I think that's a fair kind of descriptor for them, but uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really come around to them until years later. But, uh, yeah, so what's up next on your list? Uh, Yeah, so kind of sticking a little bit with the punk theme, we've got Set Your Goals. This will be the death of us.
second album that was released July 21st, 2009. Uh, this will be the Death of Us tackle the themes of questioning authority and straight-edge culture. It peaked at number 65 on the Billboard 200s, which is pretty cool for yeah. for, uh, for a punk band. Um, yeah, this I had listened to a bit of their previous album, Mutiny, and I remember lots of people talking about it and... Uh, but when this album came out, this is what really sold me on the band. You know, they just stepped up their game in every way on this album, from the production to the songwriting to the melodies and everything in between. You know, a special guest from Haley Williams from Paramore adds a really cool element, uh, which makes that track stand out. The few remain, and and uh, it, it's a really great song because it's not what you might expect as a a guest spot from Haley Williams. It's not like a you know crooning chorus or something. It's this cool kind of callback that they're doing and like a little bit rappy almost. Yeah. But it just adds a lot to the song. I, I just thought and the artwork's really cool on this album too is really eye catching what I which I thought was cool. Um yeah they did a great job on creating something that didn't sound like every other band was trying to fit into you know the easy core genre which they've kind of been they've kind of been put into but I always appreciated that they created songs that for me sound a bit more timeless versus being stuck in a certain area like some of those bands do you know they made sure that not every song followed the same structure flow and feel and it just kind of makes a more cohesive album that I can keep going back to yeah, we so we discussed this album when we did. Yeah, well, yeah, that's uh, right. Like an easy core series, and I mean, I I feel like I and I I want to say maybe I brought this up when we did those episodes is I couldn't understand how this band was labeled easy core necessarily. Like, yeah, um, it's not I like mean, super heavy. There's not no I mean, there's some breakdowns, but not like okay, yeah. this is the breakdown. You know, it was kind of within the yeah. song and like they're definitely. Um, a unique band in not like not even just in that subgenre, you know, of Easycore, but just in pop punk in general, they definitely did something a little different. Which I don't necessarily get into all of it. Uh, there's some of it where I'm kind of like, and I and I think I remember when we covered this album before, kind of having that same thing where I'm like, ah, I don't know what I think about some of these elements that they're kind of pulling from. But I, the thing that always stood out to me is they're referencing. Sometimes it's a very like big reference or very you know whatever of the movie they live which features like roddy piper who uh was a wrestler in the 80s and 90s okay. is in it and uh i just remember like looking up clips of that movie it's kind of an interesting i've never seen the movie but the clips i looked up I was like i'm sure this is equal parts bad and amazing but they really like dive into referencing that movie especially in i think it's the first couple of tracks on the album um and yeah, it's just like they definitely um, have had a unique sound that I think for me, they're not like when we when we talk about those bands that we covered and the easy core bands, they're not one that I go back to, but they're one that I for sure kind of like, y you know who they are immediately, if that makes sense. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. They had two vocalists too, which was yeah. definitely unique for, for a punk band. Right. Yeah. No, it's a. Uh, it's pretty cool. And I, I, if, do I remember? I'm trying to think. Is it this record with the Haley Williams feature where she just kind of like comes in in the middle of the song and it feels very like very much like improvised? Yeah, which is what I like about it. Like I was saying it. Yeah, yeah. It's not like just like having her sing a chorus or something. Like it's like, like hey, hey guys, guys. <laughs> is that cool if I jump in? Yeah, All right, that's let's right. Go. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like there's something about it that makes it feel I love very, that. 
Yeah, no, it's pretty cool. Um, that's Haley Williams. She always, any, any time, like I've, you know, listened to songs and she has a feature on them. I'm always like, you're the best part of that song. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of cool, but, uh, I'm going to move into my next pick, unless you wanted to talk about set your goals a little bit more. Go for it. Okay. My next pick, I'm going to break the rules again. It's Frank Turner and the album tape deck heart. I have searched for you Darkness of dozen dingy dance floors And countless queues of cafes in the suburbs Bedclothes of a thousand strangers' bedrooms I have yearned for you Airless hubs of international airports In the hollow hell of many hundred hotels Solitary stillness of the early hours And I still do Sometimes the things you need are right back where you started from Fuck you, Hollywood For teaching us that love was free and easy For dressing all our daughters as princesses Gulling us with tales of happy endings And fuck you, Motley Crue Charming us with excess and with excess Telling tales that leave out all the dark sides Bringing out the lowest driving everyone Oh fuck you
The fifth studio album by English singer-songwriter Frank Turner is released April 22nd, 2013 on Extra Mile in the UK and Polydor slash Interscope worldwide. You'll notice I did not say Epitaph, uh, but I'm counting it because the deluxe edition of this album was released on Epitaph. Like I said, I set the rules, therefore I can break them. <laughs> um, produced by Rich Costi, the album was uh, preceded by the single Recovery, which is a good song. Uh, I like this. He says, it's described as a breakup album. Tape Deck Heart was written and recorded following the collapse of a long-term romantic relationship. He said, Frank Turner said, there's a lot of stuff on this record about loss and failure in relationships, about what happens when something that was supposed to be timeless runs out of time. And that's a question that I've had um, kind of like, I, I've brought this up with a number of different artists where, and maybe, I mean, Maybe I'm alone in saying that Tape Deck Heart is Frank Turner's best record, but it's my favorite of his. And oftentimes I wonder, like, is it is it beneficial for for a songwriter to go through something like that? You know, like, and then you you know, as the listener, you get to kind of reap the benefits of their actual right. like legit heartbreak and 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 like hard times. That's yeah, a um, weird thing. Yeah, well, like, because an album, the, the first album that really got me to think about that was actually Forget and Not Slow Down by Reliant K because uh, I was never a Reliant K fan and still to this day that's the only album of theirs I really like. But in writing it, Matt Thiessen was, like, had gone through, I think it was a divorce or no, maybe it wasn't a divorce. Maybe it was an engagement that was broken off or whatever, right? Like, so he was pretty set out in where he was going is in regards to his love life. And then all of a sudden like that was over and this album kind of comes out of it. And it was for me like the best they'd ever sounded and the best songs they'd ever written. Um, you know, and, and so like something like that, or even like MXPX slowly going the way of the Buffalo, like you think about how much of that record is referencing, you know, kind of like the split with tooth and nail and everything that was going yeah. on then, which I'm sure for them, especially at that time, wasn't very easy. Yeah. But again, sure. there was some great music that came out of that. Or maybe it's yeah. just it just so happens that these things happen when these bands or artists are at their peak. But um, as far as songwriting is concerned, I don't know. But Frank is easily one of my favorite live performers. And the first time I actually saw him, uh, Northcote was opening for him in a small yeah, right club. On. Yeah, and then the next time I saw him, he was playing probably the nicest theater in Edmonton where, like, the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra plays. So it was, like, this weird sort of, like, okay, a, a small club where I see a lot of punk bands, and then all of a sudden we're switching over here, and it's, like, you know, you want to go see that, you know, indie folk, like, stomp-along band or the Symphony Orchestra or whatever. Like, what's a punk show going to look like there? And actually, Bad Cop, Bad Cop opened that show, too. So I was, like, okay, like these you know he's not just going to get up there with his acoustic guitar and play songs it's going to be a full show what is that going to look like and it was mm. honestly incredible like he literally like walked around the whole venue at one point there's like a ray like a it's probably like a, a four or five inch uh wide like railing that goes around like the whole separating one la uh, level to the next it's literally only like two steps up but he walked around like the whole venue wow. basically on that <laughs> i was like please don't fall please don't fall um but uh yeah anyways i could have followed the rules and picked his album before this called poetry of the deed uh which was and is on epitaph but this uh this record is my favorite and like i said i used a loophole of a deluxe edition release 
it's got my favorite song by him on it. Um, the song's called Good and Gone, and it paints such a vivid picture lyrically, full of heartache and loss. Musically, it's also incredibly beautiful, which is what's interesting about Frank Turner to me. Uh, and I, I kind of discovered him at a time when I was trying to, I was writing a lot of songs. It was, you know, as my son was going through his cancer stuff. And so I just had a bunch of songs I was writing, but I was like melding and mixing, you know, like acoustic songs. Cause I was just writing them by myself, but also like punk songs. Right. And so like making these two worlds meet and finding like cohesion in that was like, new and different to me and then all of a sudden i hear about frank turner and i'm like oh like this guy's literally doing it and so yeah. it's pretty awesome yeah and like he has full-on punk songs that open up circle pits he's got beautiful acoustic folk songs and everything in between he's just great so um are you are you into frank at all i'm into kind of what he does like i think it is really cool that he can you know, be in kind of those two worlds, you know, like, because he didn't, he like recently did a split with no effects or something yeah. where they cover each other's songs and, yeah. you know, but then he'll do kind of more folk tours with Northcote. And I mean, I see his name a lot on tours, which is kind of where I originally it was like, who's this Frank guy? And, uh, you know, just because it was kind of weird, you know, you have a bunch of band names and just this one guy. So you, you know, you kind of assume, okay, it's just like this acoustic, you know, opener or whatever. And yeah. so it's really neat how we can kind of, play those both and but it's not like annoying like sometimes you know when you think of like acoustic kind of punk stuff yeah. you know you think of like kind of like kind of bratty like cow punk kind of stuff that right doesn't really translate that well and so i think he he does really well yeah i listened to this this album this week and yeah i enjoyed it it's got really cool artwork too which draws me in and yeah because he's you know toured with matt and so i've you know heard from him just how cool of a guy he is and and I know our our friends Todd and Tyler love love Frank and and so I I feel like I know more about him just hearing it from other people, but it's always really really good things. Yeah, and going back to like kind of you know acoustic punk sort of thing, I think what I really like about Frank is that when it's a punk song, it's a punk song, right? Yeah, like I I don't, and I'm sure there are examples where he does like just kind of like the the acoustic is still really leading this song. But the songs that I really love that are those punk songs, especially like looking at this album, like they're full on, like, no, it's, it's a full electric band playing. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and he's got great players with him too, uh, that make up the sleeping souls. But, um, yeah, no, he just puts on such, such a good show. And, you know, it feels like anytime you're there, like even the first time I saw him live, it felt like, oh, you're part of something he makes it feel like mm. you know you can have bands that just roll through town but then you also got you know and it's like just one stop on their tour but then you got you know performers like frank where it's like oh it actually feels like he makes it feel like people are coming back together you know and like even if it's the first time you've seen him he makes it feel like this big almost like friends and family gathering type thing and it's just a, just a good time and uh yeah so i i super appreciate that about him but um let's move on to your next pick yeah, so it's uh, Raised Fist, their album Dedication.
is the third album from a hardcore band, Raised Fist, coming from uh, Sweden. And uh, yeah, so this is an, another band that's, that many people, well, I shouldn't say many, but unless you're kind of into this kind of music, you might not necessarily know who who they are. You know, they're kind of joining bands like Mill and Colin from Sweden, and uh, there might have even been a few others that, um, you know, so there was, there was Burning Heart Records, which was the... Refused? Yeah, Refused, yeah, like the, <laughs> the, the Swedish side, and then Epitaph started releasing them, and yeah, I, yeah, I forgot that they were, the they were a part of that too, yeah, so yeah, part of this really cool kind of community that kind of joined Epitaph, and yeah. you know, so some of those bands, you know, really broke out, obviously, like Refused, um, sometimes like Raised Fist, you know, maybe not as much, but they actually toured through like Canada a lot. I remember always seeing their, you know, probably yearly or every couple of years, like lots of people were really into them and would always go see them. So, so that was cool too, to have a band from, from overseas come over here so much. Uh, they have a pretty unique sound to them, mainly vocally. You know, I've heard lots of people say that they don't really like the vocals because they either come off too monotone or they're kind of the same. But for me, it's what helps the band stand out. And he's, he's a really strong vocalist. Um, they, they they don't sound like a lot of the other hardcore bands from that era. Like they weren't as fast or like tough guy hardcore like Hatebreed. Um, you know they didn't rely as much on breakdowns and I, I feel like when I listen to them, I don't even really know how to explain them because they're not a metalcore band. They're not a hardcore band. Yeah. You know they've kind of have elements of that. Like it's not it's not shreddy at all. Like it's definitely more riff based. But I don't know just really really unique band they've they've kind of transitioned their sound like they're still going and uh, they've kind of lightened it a little bit but i mean they've put out lots of records that that had a lot of really cool dynamic and depth to it while still being heavy but not as not as heavy yeah they're um i think maybe it was on apple music as i say they their like description of the band if my phone, I'm like so in need of a new phone. It's so slow right now. I'm, tr- I'm, I'm trying to search. Something. There we go. Um, I want to say they described them as, I think they called them like a progressive hardcore band. Veteran Swedish progressive hardcore band. Raised okay. Fist. Yeah. Shape an aggressive inviting sound by honing punk roots with a death metal edge. Dating back to 98's Fuel. A favorite of Iron Maiden's Bruce Dickinson, which that's pretty impressive. Sweet. Uh, one can hear bass and guitar breakdowns juxtaposed with hardcore. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Um, uh, the influence of metalcore made its impact clear on 2001's Ignoring the Guidelines. By the time they issued 2006 Sound of the Republic, they had fully integrated death metal into their sinewy musical identity and emerged with a sound virtually unlike any other punk band on the continent. Wow. So there that's, you go. that's a pretty interesting <laughs> description. It goes on. I don't need to um, yeah. keep reading it. Uh, but yeah, they, um, I, uh, this, this, I, I found it hard to listen to this band. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's pretty abrasive. Yeah. Like, it's and, not like dissonant abrasive. It's not like knock loose kind of thing, but I, I can definitely, definitely think, see that. I think it was because just not really knowing what to expect, or at least not like being familiar with what they're pulling from as far as yeah. influences are concerned. Like, it, it at the same point, it was a record where I put it on, and I was kind of like, as I was just kind of sort of skimming through, you know, your list, and I was like, okay, I don't, I don't know what's happening here, um, but I want to kind of get on to the next thing. But at the same point, it was like listening to it going, I actually would like to find the right time to listen to this band because I think there's enough like 
interesting stuff going on here that I want to listen to it. Mm. But it, it's it's not like a band that I want to put on and just be like, I'll let it do its thing. You know, like there's some yeah. albums you, you talk about, whether it's background music or not, not saying this is, but like with some other albums, you, you talk about it being background music and it's just like, so it kind of slowly sinks in, right? Like, and eventually you're singing the songs or you're wanting to listen to it or what have you. Or there's other ones where you like put it on and immediately you're like drawn in for one reason or another and you're like, I can't stop listening. Um, and this is definitely neither one of those. But in putting it on, I was like, okay, I don't have the time right now and I have to be in the right mood, but I do want to kind of dive further into this and see like, okay, is there something I can grasp onto? Because typically I kind of do like those things that catch you off guard a little bit, like a band that is a little bit different. Uh, doing something a little bit different and so yeah man um i'll have to hope yeah maybe i'll, I'll send you some some of the other songs like no. maybe even some of the newer ones are a bit a bit more dynamic than just kind of straight I heavy should, well and i should look because a lot of times what really helps for me uh and and i've i've maybe i've talked in the past on the show about how i i don't listen to very many podcasts because if something wants to catch my attention, I'm at the point in my life where I'm like, I need visual as well as audio a lot of times. Yeah. Music is something entirely different typically, but I can be like drawn into a band by watching a music video or a live performance or something, right? And like something yeah. to kind of grasp onto a little bit more. But um, definitely an intriguing band for me to say the least. Uh, I'm going to get into my next pick, if that's cool. Yeah. Unless you want to raise it. your yep, fist. Nope. You want to raise your hand to raise your fist one more time? I'll pump um, it while you're talking about something not yeah. so. Have we talked? Pumping. Has anyone on your list been a Canadian artist yet? Oh, that's a good. Uh, I don't know if anyone has. Who, who is Canadian that's on Epitaph? Oh, I've got them. I was just wondering if. Oh anyone yeah, on your yeah, list. right. You do. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I didn't. My mind didn't go to to your pick. So yeah, let's let's yeah, talk about it. So the next record, the next record I want to talk about breaks the rules yet again. Uh, the Weaker Thans, live at the Burton Cummings Theatre. Why don't you ever want to play? I'm tired of this piece of string. You sleep as much as I do now. Tabby two doors down You could ask 
frankly, that thing doesn't really interest me. I swear I'm gonna bite you hard and taste your tinny blood. If you don't stop the self-defeating lies you've been repeating since the day you brought me home. If you don't stop the self-defeating lies you've been repeating since the day you brought me home, I know you're strong. indie rock band the weaker thans the album was recorded during april 2009 at the burton cummings theater in the band's hometown of winnipeg as they toured in support of their album reunion tour it was released march 23rd 2010 on anti anti uh the vinyl release i have was actually released on epitaph has the epitaph logo on the back so i feel yeah. like i'm i'm not fully <laughs> the, the copy i have is legit epitaph um but i am breaking the rules because uh we we I've literally told people in the past, no, you can't have a live album on your list. <laughs> so I'm going to take this moment. I, I specifically told Roger Camaro of No Motive that he could not have face-to-face -face oh. live on his list. So <laughs> I'm funny. apologizing now um, for Vagrant. But uh, anyway, this is my time to break him. The main reason I picked this album, though, is because initially I did have a different album, Weaker Than's album, on the list. In fact... It may have been no, it wasn't reunion tour. It was a reconstruction site. Oh yeah, I think is what I had on my list. Um, but the main reason I picked this album is that it's they're so good, and this album just kind of serves as a best of, played incredibly well live. Like in in fact, the recording is so good. At times, it's easy to forget that it is a live album until John yeah. Sampson starts talking in between tracks, and you're like, oh yeah, like this isn't you know, a studio album. It's recorded so well. Um, and I've always loved the irony of John singing the song One Fine, or One Great City. 
Uh, <laughs> I wrote down one fine city for whatever reason, but one great city. Specifically, the line where he sings the Guess Who Sucked yeah. while performing in a theater named after named one after, of the founding yeah. members of the Guess Who. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, ah, oh, that's so great. Um, and, I mean, every time I hear that song now, I'm like, yeah, but, but the Jets are back. Because <laughs> he talks about the oh, yeah, Jets, yeah. like, ah, oh, the Jets were lousy yeah. anyway, so who, who misses them? And now they're back. So uh, I wonder if he ever plays that song like doing solo shows and, oh, like, it probably does just for the irony of it <laughs> but um yeah the weaker thans they were again another band where obviously because i'm canadian i heard a lot about them and never really got into them for one reason or another uh until in the last 10 years or so which is funny because i mean by i mean this came out in 2010 so it's 11 years old now uh, and like it was, I believe the last release that they did. Um, I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, so, you know, it definitely took me a bit. I'm a little bummed that my vinyl copy of this didn't come with the DVD. Oh, that's uh, it, too bad. It is on YouTube though, so if I really want uh, to yeah, watch yeah. it, I could look it up. But um, yeah, I'm sure y- you've got thoughts on the weaker lands. Yeah, they're never really a band I associate with Epitaph, so I always kind of forget that. But they have that connection. Well, are they? I can't think of any other Canadian bands on Epitaph right now. Right now, really? well, um, just like I mean, right now I can't oh, think of any that have. Yeah, I'm sure uh, they're there. They got to be there. Like, and I'm curious if they were ever proper on Epitaph. You know, like, or if I've subverted the rules again and actually just made my list a almost a top five like anti records. Um, but there, there must have been. Yeah, I'll have there to go have. back. Yeah, I, I can't. Yeah, none like, come to mind. So was um, was SNFU ever on Epitaph? Uh, they're they're from Edmonton. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know enough. Now you're gonna get me looking, them, but yeah, yeah, uh, they, yeah. They, they were so SNFU. Um, they were on sorry. Epitaph. Uh, labels. They were on BYO, Cargo, Epitaph, Alternative Tentacles. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm curious what they released on it. If that was like that, they're I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah, weaker than yeah. So, Burton Cummings Theater, that's that's a sweet place. I saw uh, Gaslight Anthem and Northcote there, so it's a oh, nice. really rad theater downtown Winnipeg. And um, yeah, I, I don't know the weaker than's discography enough to kind of fully um, dive into a live record, but yeah, it, it sounds great. I, I kind of went through it to listen to the songs that I recognized just to see how they sounded live, and and uh, yeah, it was it was great. Yeah, I I I broke the rules though, but I'm allowing it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's all uh, what's, good. What's next on your list? I guess yes. the final pick on your yeah, list. Yeah, last one. So a band we have talked about before, a band called Story of the Year, and this is the album The Black Swan. <laughs> Make 
released on April 22nd, 2008. Um, I think this is... Well, this was yeah, their first one on, on Epitaph. Yeah, it was announced. Yeah, the band signed to Epitaph. In addition, it was mentioned that the band in the studio with producer John Feldman, so kind of bringing it back full circle from their from their first release. Um, so, yeah, upon signing, uh, lead singer Dan said, making this record felt like starting over. We're like a brand new band. You can hear it in the songs. We're excited again. I think we've really stepped it up on this record. Um, so I was kind of back and forth when it comes or when it comes to story of the year, like some albums I'm more drawn towards and others not as much. I always like them and I would listen to them here and there, but uh, never knew you know all of their albums super well. So I was excited when I heard they were signed to Epitaph and I anticipated this album. I can still remember hearing the opening track on this and being really excited for it. It immediately pulled me in and to the rest of the record, uh, which it did not disappoint. Uh, to me, this is everything you want from a story of the year album. It's heavy, melodic, soaring choruses that get stuck in your head, emotional vocals, awesome guitar riffs. It's just a great album that always comes to mind when someone mentions the story of the year. And I agree with that statement on, you know, just feeling that excitement and that, um, you know, to be making music again. And so it's, I don't know what, what brought that on. I'm trying to think of even what was the album that came out right before this, but you can definitely hear it translate into the songs and the overall feel of the record. It's really high energy, really fun album, and I, I love going back to this one. Did we... So when we talked about Story of the Year, we didn't cover this album though, right? I no, think I think we just, we just talked Page about... Avenue. Yeah. But I think you maybe told me about this record. Yeah, yeah I probably did. Because I, I feel like there were a couple songs on it that surprised me. Because for me, for the most part, Story of the Year just always sounds like Story of the Year. You know, like um, they, they're a band that like I really like... Were liked i haven't listened to it probably since we did the that episode but i really like page avenue but they're also like a band where i can fully admit like most of those songs just kind of sound the same like they they have their formula right um and then there there's like the odd one they'll bust out where it's like oh where did that come from like on page avenue they have the song i can't remember the name of it but the song with toby morse from h2o oh right? yeah like where it's all of a sudden like dang like this came out of nowhere uh, and then this record, I feel like there's another one that's like fast or whatever that kind of like comes out of nowhere and surprises me. But yeah, they're a band that typically, if I'm like, oh man, I really want to listen to Story of the Year, it's just always that first record. That oh, I, go back I to. feel like they've got so much better after that. Which is funny. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, anytime I've listened to so when I put this record on for this episode, I was just like, yeah, it just sounds like Story of the Year to me. So then it, it, we've talked about this where, you know, like it kind of creates that thing for me where I'm like, Oh, I just will listen to this album then, you know, <laughs> like uh, it like makes me want to listen to a different album, not because it's bad, but because it's reminding me of that album. Yeah. If that yeah makes that's sense, fair. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, it's kind of one of those things that happens, I think with bands where, you know, when they've been around for a while, if you weren't, you know, like following along with every album, you can't necessarily, differentiate as much between the records so then it becomes a thing where it's like oh yeah i'm hearing this one that i'm not as familiar with but it sounds like this one so now i want to listen to this one so i can sing along uh sort of deal right but uh, yeah story of the year man they, you you mentioned soaring courses there they definitely write some like super hooky soaring oh courses. man yeah so, i love those for all the lack of hooks on oscar uh story of the year makes up for that <laughs> yeah well i love that they do it in a way that's not like kind of obnoxious or annoying like you know 
I, I don't know if it's because they kind of have a heaviness to it. The guitars are always like a bit more riffy than, you know, just a normal pop punk band or whatever it would be. Right. Like there's always a bit more kind of energy and depth to it. So on you know, those big choruses, it's not just like a kind of boppy song <laughs> to jump up to. Like there's kind of more, more energy and depth yeah. to it. Sorry to those who just had to embrace my cough. I, I'm drinking. I've, I've I've officially made it to old age. I'm literally drinking club soda with lime in it. Oh, nasty! Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> well, <laughs> and so <laughs> I just some of it just went down the wrong tube. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> sorry. So I'm I'm apologizing <laughs> for my cough. Uh, yeah, no. Story of the year is great stuff. Um, I'm gonna get into my final pick though, and it's gonna wrap up this most of this list. Uh, oh, make my it final count. Pick, my final pick is John K. Sampson and the album Provincial. I know it's annoying borrowing your brother's car, but mine won't start. And it's debut solo album from john k sampson released january 24th 2012 again on anti but my vinyl is on epitaph uh so when i when i picked and went through i was like oh yeah epitaph but then when i looked it up it says it was on a different label anyway uh it includes re-recorded versions of the six songs from sampson's earlier eps city route 85 and provincial road 222 as well as six songs not heard on those eps the album was named as a long-sighted nominee for the 2012 polaris music prize on June 14th, 2012. Okay. So here's the thing. This record is the whole reason my list is constructed the way it is. Hmm. Um, outside of the promise ring, 
all of these bands on my list, so the other three bands, are purely because of John K. Sampson. So both yeah, Justin Pierre and Frank Turner have spoken at length about the songwriting of John K. Sampson and how it has influenced them over the years. In fact, I heard about Frank Turner because I watched... It was like, I want to say it was like the University of Toronto or something. This guy did a presentation on John K. Sampson's songwriting. And maybe it was followed up even with like an interview or something like that with John K. Sampson. It was for some like writing class at the university. And so I was watching this because it was really intriguing. And in it, he included quotes from Frank Turner about Sampson's songwriting and how much he connected with it. And I was like, oh, who's Frank Turner? So then I looked him up and... uh, lo and behold I was like dang this is pretty cool and I've also heard Justin Pierre talk about uh, John K. Sampson as far as how his lyricism has influenced him over the years which makes sense too because I mentioned with Justin Pierre you know like with his music the first thing that really kind of grasps me is his lyrics they're not necessarily the same style as John Sampson but he's a strong lyricist right so uh, so to hear that I was kind of like okay cool and of course the weaker thans were john k sampson's band or are i don't i don't know if they're officially done i think they are but I mean, yeah whatever um so i was first introduced to john's songwriting uh when a friend of mine actually covered two of his songs off this record at a show that we played together and i was instantly hooked i went out and bought the album like the next day uh it came with a so i bought it on vinyl it came with a cd copy as well which then stayed in my cd player for a long time um and he just captures the essence of what it feels what it feels like to be Canadian growing up in a small town. Like the thing that's great, especially on this this record, not just this record, but like this record specifically, I feel like he really captures that a lot. Even if he's not writing about small town Alberta, he is writing about small prairie towns. So I mean it's yep. pretty translates pretty pretty easily. But um there's something about him that you know, he sings about the small prairie towns that people might otherwise find forgettable. And what it actually reminds me of, which is funny because if, if you would have asked me this when I was, you know, like a 16-year-old kid listening to a ton of Epitaph bands, this would not be something I would say. Yeah. But it reminds me of, as a Canadian, of the Tragically Hip and specifically like Gord Downey's songwriting and how Gord Downey wrote and made it feel like, I, I, I want to say maybe it was... Damien Abraham of the band Fucked Up, who I think I read, this was, I, I don't know if if Gord had passed away yet or if it was like when the news kind of first came out that he had, you know, brain cancer or whatever. Uh, Damien had written a piece for something. And in it, he said, he made me feel like it was okay to be Canadian and to sing about, or maybe it was even John Sampson that said this actually, to sing about Canada, like where I'm from, even yeah. though, you know, people aren't going to find it interesting or whatever, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's just kind of intriguing and interesting to hear him sort of say that. Um, and of course, John got his start at least in, you know, the punk world with Propagandi and yep. left that band after a couple records. And I think it was the best thing that happened for both him and Propagandi. Like it's pretty crazy to think like Propagandi is a legit, like again, like a, a legacy band and maybe even yeah. for a lot of people like beyond that legacy band status, just like, these guys continue to put out bangers every time they release something and it's incredibly good. So I, and I would say right now, I know earlier I said, I don't listen to a ton of podcasts. There is one that I listened to a number of episodes in a row Hmm. at one point called unscripted moments. Yeah. A podcast about propaganda. If you're listening to this, go listen to it. 
Yeah, it's awesome. And then, oh, I say, and then go to our, our website, growingpunkpod.com, and join our Discord because they're on there as well, and you can come hang out with us. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like for those that split to happen, like obviously, then you got the weaker thans with John and Propaganda continued on their way, and they put out great records. Um, and then now John K just kind of doing his his solo stuff, but he is he quickly went up the list for me as just like songwriters who I admire as far as being able to tell stories and also not just tell stories lyrically. Cause that's one thing, right? Yeah. But to also be very musical about it and craft songs that instantly get stuck with me. And, um, he, whether he was doing it with the weaker thans or he's doing it solo, uh, he is, he's an all timer for me. But as I was putting this list together, I was like, I know what I'm going to do. These bands all work in one way or another and tie into John K. Sampson. So outside of, like I said, the promise ring, um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I wonder cool. if I, I could have maybe looked farther and harder and found something else too, but to make that number five spot. But yeah, John K. Sampson, man, he's great. Did you ever, I mean, we talked about the weaker than but have you listened to his solo stuff at all? Yeah. I listened to this album today actually while I was working and yeah, it was, it was uh, a great album. I always, Kind of find did myself you, kind of. I was gonna say, did you feel like you were yeah. back in Dauphin again? <laughs> He's <laughs> well, literally yeah, singing I mean, about small town Manitoba. <laughs> yeah, well, and yeah, you know, it's yeah, very similar to the weaker thans too. Like to Parts me, it me, almost yeah. is just kind of like you know acoustic weaker thans kind sure, of stuff. Yeah. But I, I often find myself just kind of like laughing when I'm listening to it because I always just think like. Are you just recording yourself like having a conversation with your grandpa or something like <laughs> you know just kind of like tell these like stories that you know old guys would sit around telling and yeah. like yeah like like you said it's a very unique take on songwriting and it's not for everyone but I think it's cool that he you know came to this place or was influenced enough to be like yeah I can sing about this stuff you know so many of their bands sing about other places and you yeah. know just you know maybe singing about Winnipeg isn't as glamorous as singing about California or something but right, right. there's there's always someone that can connect with it there's lots of other small towns all over the world yeah. and uh so it's I think you know whether it's that specific idea or just the idea of you know, growing up somewhere where, you know, just a select community kind of knows what you're talking about and the rest doesn't really, there's still a way that draws people into that. And I think that's really like, cool. And, and, and like his, his songwriting, I think is also kind of broad in what he wrote. Like, so if you look at provincial, this album, like he literally has a song about, you know, how, you know, on a Sunday night in a small town, everyone just gets in their cars and they just drive up and down the street. Right. Yep. And he talks about like, ah, you know, we got to borrow your brother's car because mine won't start. And I'm tired of sitting in the Dairy Queen parking lot with, <laughs> you know, tin cans on our bike wheels to make, you know, engine sounds. Right. Yeah. Um, to singing songs about, you know, like a hockey player that grew up, you know, in his town that he wants to be in the Hockey Hall of Fame because when he was a kid, he was watching him on TV. Uh, you know, and what else does he sing about? He sings about like a, I think it's like an old folks home where it's like written from the viewpoint of, you know, like an, an old man living in this home, right? Like, or when you go back to the weaker thans, he literally wrote songs from the perspective of a cat or, you know, made like a metaphor about a relationship, but the metaphor was curling, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, just like these crazy <laughs> Pretty things. Pretty specific, like, yeah. And yet they all are just like, it does like, yeah, he's singing a song about being a cat, but it, it doesn't come off as like, childish 
or cheesy or I mean maybe it does to people who are like on the outside going like why the hell is he singing about being a cat right like you know so he just does these things but um in the end yeah like I said a few minutes ago like he is he is an all-time songwriter for me and so um you know we, we wouldn't cover something like him regularly on the show so it's kind of cool that yep. like I said I broke the rules and made it happen but anyway man I think uh do you want to do you want to announce who our guest is next week for the final epitaph well the final label episode and epitaph part two I was just gonna say, should we do honorable mentions and list like fifty, oh, yeah. al- 50 albums? Right. Well, <laughs> I'm just thing. kidding. I mean, we did. Uh, well, it's funny because we did mention off the top like a handful of those bands, but then I somehow min- uh, missed H2O, who we've talked about in depth a bit on the show. Hot Water Music. Um, I mean, yeah. Descendants. Like, there's. It's Epitaph, man. Like, there's so many bands. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was more so just joking. Let's just list right, pretty much the whole Epitaph to... roster as, as honorable say, mentions. I'm gonna go on to Discogs <laughs> and I'm gonna hit sort by year and start at the very beginning and we're just gonna go through all the bands <laughs> yeah but uh yeah man so oh yeah so who who do you got coming up next week yeah i'm really excited for people to hear from joe who played bass in set your goals um so obviously i just talked about them so i love the record so it's cool to hear the bands that influenced him and uh, he kind of took it from um, the point of a bass player. So what bands or what bass players and what bands influenced his bass playing. So not necessarily just like favorite albums of his, but even the next level, like what influenced him as a musician and uh, yeah. All on Epitaph. Yeah. And and he picked some, some really cool records um, that we didn't mention. And so um, you can hear five more of of his releases as well, and it was a really a really good time. Right on. So that's coming up next week. Anyway, that'll wrap this episode up. So go follow us on social media at Growing Punk Pod. That's Twitter. That's Instagram. You'll find our personal links there as well. I mentioned a few minutes ago, GrowingPunkPod.com is our website. You can join our Discord there. We've got links to merch and stuff there as well. And uh, wherever you're listening, make sure you tell your friends about the show, rate it, review, share, that kind of jibber-jabber stuff. Uh, That will do it, though, for this episode. So goodbye. See you later.